This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming back on the show. This is our the second in the series of, uh, I think it was Thinking Like a Futurist was the last one. I forget what the title of this one is going to be, but we're going to delve even deeper into figuring out how to deal with the future, how to, how to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? See into the future. How to make right? sense. How to make sense of the future. That's it. Where we are and what might happen. <laughs> so that, you know, the objective is so that we can be thoughtful. About exactly. How where we point ourselves and the resources we invest and all of that. Yeah. And, um, our, we're doing a series, and last time it was how to think like a futurist. Um, our discussion today, wherever it takes us, is focused on how to see like a futurist, and then our next one will be on how to lead like a futurist. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the recap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely forgot. <laughs> So uh, seeing seems to be really difficult for a lot of people. I mean, how, how, how can we make it easier? How can we make it easier? Well, I think we touched on this last time. One of the reasons why it's hard to see is because we can't. <laughs> we can only see what's in front of us. <laughs> Just because so, we can't, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try, right? <laughs> well, we, what it means is, is that naturally we don't. And mm-hmm. so it does require us to train ourselves in other ways of seeing, which is about uh, really reading the patterns of nature, which reveals the patterns of change that are inherent in everything, and making the best sense that we can with some, some frameworks and tools and methods, really, that says after that deep look, Here's how we best understand what we're watching and why um, over time. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, number one, just a perspective of a futurist is that, yeah, if we, if we look over time, which is also means to look back in history and study those patterns, if we look to nature and kind of the, the natural way in which change occurs in systems, we may get some idea of what we're watching um, and because it starts to show itself in human society. Right. We but as, somehow, as yeah, they ahead. say, uh, sort of past performance doesn't indicate future results. How, how much of that is real and how much, how much of that is, is not real because past performance does sometimes predict future results. Yeah. You know, I'm of the opinion that we, Again, that there are natural cycles and behaviors of change. The nature of change is something that we're really interested in. And that there are some things, as we had discussed last time, um, that, you know, really I'm saying 
what we want to understand is what does change, what doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it gives us a way for maybe considering what is likely to be next for us. And so uh, it's my assertion that what doesn't change is what we want to create strategy from. And what doesn't change, last time we spoke about this, again, I assert that human nature itself doesn't change. Its expressions do. The modes of expression do. Uh, but that underlying it all, human nature doesn't change. And another thing that doesn't change is actually the nature of change itself uh-huh. and um, some of the structures that we look at. And so we can see over time that nature, you know, excuse me, that change is often, you know, pendular in the way it expresses, that there are cycles in societies that kind of repeat themselves. So I would say, well, past isn't necessarily prologue, it is a teacher for us. And that while we may scream and bite our nails and gnash our teeth about we've never been here before, it's unprecedented. Um, (laughs) Everything is precedented. You just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. You know, um, in most ways, there are some things, of course, that are, are newer. But in many ways, what's newer, like we've never been in a chat GPT landscape before. Yeah. AI landscape before. And yet there are some principles about change and how society responds to dramatic changes such as this, how it um, shifts the economy, how it's likely to shift uh, global powers and how we govern as well. So it gives us this, you know, for me, I talk about how being a futurist means to be a zoomologist. Mm-hmm. You know, we're training ourselves on how to zoom out and have this observer perspective, and how all of this has kind of a set of dynamics that, again, are not predictive in themselves, but there are behaviors we get to become aware of. And history is one of the ways that we learn about that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I hope that's a a satisfying answer anyway <laughs> but isn't it but isn't it true that you can you can basically separate yourself from the past like if i wanted to wake up tomorrow and be a completely different person could i not do that i don't think so okay think so? And why, well why why would you think that i couldn't like let's say uh i mean it depends on what it is obviously i couldn't physically change my form but I could exhibit a completely different personality. And the only thing that would keep me in the personality I'm in right now is every the frameworks that are around me right now, the people who are around me, the job I have, all of these things would be forcing me into back into what I was doing before because it would be like, oh, Chris, you're a completely different person. What happened to you, right? Everyone's expecting you to be what you are. And isn't it possible for somebody to just change just like that? I don't think so. I think, you know, one of the things we would have to talk about what personality is and where it comes from, if that's the the thing that we're discussing, I have a feeling you're describing identity. Mm. Can we change our identity? You know, the the ways in which kind of the form in which we're known to the world? Um, Yeah, we certainly could. But even if I were tomorrow, and it's not so big a stretch, you know, shave my head and uh, pick up an electric guitar and go on the road (laughs) and play big stadiums if anybody would have me. Can you play? Um, (laughs) Are you musical? (laughs) um, I'll say I love music and I (laughs) attempt to sing, but you know, 
that would be a different identity, like a different container for how I live my life. Right. But Cecily and the essence of Cecily and my the history that came, comes with me would still be there. So, um, and anyone who has undergone an identity shift, which does happen in the course of a life, you know, people change careers. I certainly have three times as it turns out. Um, and, you know, there are losses and deaths and divorces and health, you know, challenges and all kinds of things, accidents. Mm-hmm. That do change our um, sometimes our capacities, often our ideas of ourselves as which is an identity, and then we may choose a new direction, which is a new expression of who we are. But who we are, I believe, is still at essence very much the same, and that we can't divorce ourselves from everything that came before. Right. Right. Those are shaping um, forces and influences. And our personality is shaped by our past, what we've experienced. Yeah, and maybe some other things as well. But certainly it is shaped, you know, it is conditioned by um, the types of experiences we've had, um, where we were kind of, you know, where the stork dropped us somewhere on the planet at a certain period of time in culture and society and location and geography and family and all of those things. Um, certainly do shape us. The bodies that we inhabit, uh, the sex that we were born with, all of that are, are really big factors. So our environment is is much more important than our than our internal decision making, where we're going to go, the environment that we're sitting in? No, I, I think the nature-nurture question is always an interesting one. Um, I suppose I my sense of that is, is that what our environment does is it draws some things out more than others, mm-hmm. depending on how you were parented or not parented, for instance, or the kind of education you had, um, you know, certain opportunities that we have. But, you know, there is, I mean, if you're a parent, you know, or you look at yourself or others, you know, very often people are born being who they are. And then the rest of it are shaping influences, but that's shaping. It's not what defines us or makes us. You know. So we do have a, we do have some base personality when when we're born, but then everything else shapes us. So it's a combination of the two, really. Oh, it's an interplay. It's an interplay, and I think that's a beautiful thing to keep in mind because that process never stops. And so if we're really being engaged with change, one of the things that we want to do is to move out of the perspective that we get to control the outcome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we want to do is to be thoughtful. We want to set our sights on what really matters, uh, do the good work to understand what it is that we have to learn uh, in the process. And then as critically to allow, allow ourselves to be shaped by what we learn or the challenges that are there or the thing, you know, all of the failures, the successes, whatever it is that we are constantly being worked on. And the more attentive we are to the fact that, you know, this exchange of subjective and objective, you know, ourselves and in the environment, what the environment is doing and what we're doing and how those come together, it's what is, that's what we know as reality is that 
interface between the two, right? Mm -hmm. And our perception of it and our response to it. So would you say that a lot of people don't understand that the amount of ability they have to change the future is is more limited than they think? Hmm. I might say that um, I think what people don't understand is number one, we're never a victim to the future or to change. It is our job to dance with it, but never to underestimate how its effect on you as well. Mm. You know, we don't know what the future holds, but we also don't know who we will become. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make and who we will become in the process of getting there. And so that's a factor I don't think we consider because we, we kind of think of it as an objective thing that we do and control and the kind of force this outcome, we either succeeded or failed or whatever it might be. But um, no, they, this is a, an active dynamic change includes all of us. And, you know, we are in it. We are not separate from it. Right. And yeah. but we can we can set goals for ourselves and we can drive ourselves towards these goals, but we don't necessarily, we, 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 we are not the only drivers. Correct. And so what's really useful, I think, is to sharpen our editing mechanisms so that, you know, we can set our goals or sometimes we don't have a goal, but we have something that I refer to as being directionally right. Like this, it's compelling or it's the only thing I feel, you know, like it's what, where we have to go or the only place I can go. I'm not sure where it's leading, but here we are, like that's mm -hmm. the thing that's happening. So um, we can lean into that future. And, uh, and then what we're really wanting to do is to sharpen our awareness on what we're learning in the process and how we're editing towards the things that work, learning from the things that don't. Um, right. And then being shaped by it, transformed by it even in some cases, uh, as we go, so that the goal may shift and be edited too, because that is a goal set by our past self. We are now in a present self. That's right. In a different way, right? You know, um, now our seeing is a little deeper because we've actually been on the path a little bit. We've been investigating that problem to solve that we've laid out or the, you know, inquiry that we're head on or whatever it may be. Well, is there any way to know what signals from the that from the present in the past could sort of continue into the future? I mean, what you can actually use, or is it just just figure it it will guide you in some ways, but we don't really know how? Um, yeah, I think there are um, definitely navigational tools. And you know when we're talking about seeing change, uh, and that there is a method and a model for doing that. Um, you know, my mission really is around change literacy, um, you know, as a, basically as a path to wisdom, mm -hmm. right? You know, that if we can understand change, maybe we can make better uh, judgments about what needs to be done. And so the change literacy is twofold. And I think we're talking about that in this moment. One is we need to be able to read the environment and know how to do that, which is what we can discuss today. 
And the other one is that we need to be able to read the internal environment and be literate around the changes with from inside as well. And what we're doing, and we touched on this on the last conversation, is we're looking to make sure that there's a resonance and a fit between what's happening in the environment and what's happening in oneself, it's a, if it's a person or as an organization, a brand or whatever it is that we're steering. Because it's that evolutional fit that allows us to be relevant. Mm -hmm. always, you know, evolution says, please be relevant or see ya. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, so it's kind of a it's kind of a hard and fast rule, right? You can't really can't can't really fight it that much. I guess you can fight it a bit, but well, it, it could be a slow death, <laughs> which is how irrelevance often goes. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, in any case, we are looking at two sets of literacies because there are two environments that have to match in order for that relevance to really hit. And um, so our conversation was kind of leading initially towards that internal piece of reading. And I think we'll discuss that and go further in our next conversation, what it, what it means to lead like a futurist, um, because sharpening those capacities are really critical when we live in a time when, in fact, predicting the future is not easy at all. In yeah. fact, I would say impossible. Mm -hmm. So well, how do you lead given that fact? How do you, how do you, well, okay, let's go to the question, the underlying question yeah. of everything. How do you see into the future? What is the, what can you do? Because I think people are, people yeah. do it in sort of like an amateur way without thinking really hard about how they just sort of look at patterns and say, oh, because, you know, they did this, then they're going to continue to do that because people are, humans are creatures of habit and then they'll always do that, but not necessarily so what's a better way to get a better indication of where, where, we're, go where we're going or where things are going? There are three things that we want to do. The, the very first thing that we want to do is to do that zoomed out perspective. Right. We want to kind of drop where we are and drop the present concerns and uh, issues and trends even. Because I think what you're describing is people do, they love trends in part because they're linear. Mm -hmm. And it makes us feel comfortable to say, oh, this trend is going to go in this direction. Well, yeah. we live in a much more dynamic system than that. Um, and there may be some truth, in, but it will certainly not be the whole truth. So we do want to step back and be able to say, let's take an overview of systems, which is the second piece of it. So to be a futurist is fundamentally to be a systems thinker and seer. And we're not talking, you know, there are economic systems and there are business systems and there are societal systems and there are environmental systems and there are cosmic systems. And in fact, they're all nested, right? So we, again, always have to fight the urge to be reductionist is that we're just looking at one system. Even though we may need to focus on one system for a while, we are at least appreciating that it is in open communication with everything else. Right. Is it because we're we're so in love with simplicity? If like complexity kind of freaks us out, we're in love with control. Mm. And so, you know, what the scientific revolution brought us and the enlightenment uh, mindset allowed us to do is to say, "Gee, we've got tools to kind of prod and poke into these mysteries, and we believe these mysteries are something that we can know, we can own, we can manipulate." we're in control. 
yeah. um, you know, what we're beginning to be, we're now in another, you know, what's the, the next phase uh, that we're heading into kind of another, is there another axial age in which there's a dawning of a, a different way of seeing and possibly even a different science and um, the frontiers of consciousness and, and quantum physics and quantum computing and even AI are telling us, yeah, it seems like that. Mm-hmm. So, so we are currently trained very deeply in um, causation, you know, that, and that we, if, we, if we can figure it out, then we can reverse engineer it and control it. And to a great degree, that works, but it, of course, it doesn't work completely. Right. And it keeps us blinded from being able to actually see the more emergent phenomenon, which is what change is all about. So to be a systems thinker back to that is to actually invite complexity into the lens of sight, right? And that complexity just means things are not reducible. They, this is life. These are live systems that are dynamic and that are always uh, moving. So nothing is really pinpointable, which is what quantum is all about, right? And uh, that we can see underlying the system that there are certain patterns that may recur and that there are behaviors that emerge from that system Mm -hmm. which is to say now the third thing i said the first is you know be able to zoom out to see the systems number two is to actually understand what it means to be a systems thinker and to take on that mindset of embracing complexity and the fact that change emerges from the whole And then the fourth one is to go back to say, okay, let's try and get a model that helps us do something more than that. Mm -hmm. And so looking under the surface of trends, uh, in my view, I have seen four forces that are always churning. These four forces that shape every society um, always have, and I suspect always will. And they tell us where to focus our idea. They are the roots of all trends Hmm. and that's very, very helpful. And at that level of sight, when you go deep, change is actually much slower than the frothy surface of trends and reactions and current issues and all of that. And so things slow down when we go deep and that allows us to be more anticipatory rather than reactionary. So I'm happy to share the forces with you. (laughs) I'd love to hear. And but we're so that, we're so into novelty, though. I mean, we're it seems like novelty is is such a huge draw. I mean, how do we how do we step away from that and go? We need to we need to be a little more circumspect about this. Well, so when you say novelty, what comes to mind? What are you thinking about when you say? Well, the 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 new, the different, the the next, the trend, the the frothy stuff. Like, how do we step back from the frothy stuff and go? You know, that's that that's froth. Let's get to the Let's get to the underlying meaning behind all this well, or below I think all this. Can can exist, in fact, because they do. Um, and then just to to pause and say, you know, often um, people engage me because they want something new and next to novel, the breakthrough. And um, you know, because they also think that there's a market advantage to do that. That's the motivation. Of course. Right. <laughs> I mean. That, that's there's why. a profit motive, you know, can't there's forget a profit that motive because in the past, it's, you know, again, we look at history and there have been breakthrough events or breakthrough products or positioning or, or um, new models of business, all kinds of things. And that does happen for sure. Mm-hmm. But what's missing so much is not so much the infatuation with novelty, 
Although there is a sense of like, you know, what can get us out of our rut might be that. But more, I would say, is the resistance to actually doing what's required to do something new. <laughs> We're not exactly imagining something new is easy and free. Well, my phrase <laughs> is, is that businesses in particular, and in some ways, humans are built for what's known. Our mm. brains are built for that. You know, any system is kind of built for what's known. And when you try to wholesale do something new, you can incubate it for a while. But when you put it back to the system, the system has a gravity to it, which will take what's new and, and revert it to known. Yeah. And we, we've, for all of us who have been in innovation, we've seen that happen again and again. And so it's very resource intensive. And I don't just mean time and money. It's effort mm. to hold a new life form in an existing system with a new intention takes a lot of energy. And it doesn't mean that it can't become a part of it over time, but it takes a lot of time to do that. And somebody needs to shepherd it, protect it, insist on it, shield it, and invest in it over time in order for that to pan out. And you know, we discussed this a little bit last time that some of the people, uh, the leaders that have become heroes for us, Steve Jobs and, and you know, Jeff Bezos and others are people who have said, Shh, I'm working on something. Yeah. Right. right? Rather, um, we're, we're going to wait until we're ready or until we organically um, have created something so new that that's, that's just who we are and how we do it. So I would say that the novelty is, is worth it, but not for its own sake. Mm. Right. You, you have to see the value in it and make sure that that value is something that, again, you can hold it. And once again, sometimes we know these principles by looking to our own lives. You know, anytime that we've tried yeah. to attempt a change in, our, in behavior or a um, path of learning, I started taking piano for the first time ever. Oh, congratulations. That's great. It's a complete illiterate. And, you know, that it's not just beginner's mind. It's actually the reacquaintance with, um, yeah, this is a long path. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I better get busy if I'm going to go on that tour. So <laughs> <laughs> you have Carnegie, Carnegie Hall's in your future, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe somebody's backyard. But <laughs> anywho, so let us look under the surface by looking at these forces of change and to, they are sense making. That's the, you know, we started with this is that the whole idea is that we have at least some ways of making sense of what the hell is happening. How did we get here? Yeah. How do we account for where we are? And how might we think it through for where we're headed next? And for that, I'm going to share some sweet visuals on these forces Ooh. of change. Yeah. Although um, I did want to say that do people feel that sense making people are making feel like I think people feel like there there's less sense to be made now than ever before. Do you think that 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 that, that has changed or it's the same as it always was? Um, I think in some ways it is less now. We are in, um, you know, a, a real shift of eras. So, you know, when we're at the end of maybe a 70 year period mm. in which the types of governance and economy and all of that stuff just felt like we figured it out and it's here forever. 
Yeah. And, um, and so the planning and the projections and foresight even, we could take a lot for granted and stay a little bit more in the, the land of ideas because the mechanisms and institutions were so solid. Yeah. But and now that's that all changed. It is in the process of changing and it will be, you know, maybe in a continual process of that's part of the froth and the, the way things are being sped up there that becomes now we have to actually attune ourselves to a different way of operating. Mm. And I think that's part of the pain and difficulty uh, is that we are still living in systems that were built for a different time and uh, it's going to take us a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, for better and for worse, but mostly for worse, uh, you know, crises are often the mechanism for helping us shift that perspective. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to no, I love your question. ask Thank that question. You. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Into the four face forces of change. And nice. Nice. <laughs> they are, they're so damn sweet, I think. There's an elegance to this that, you know, I, I, I first really birthed this model on about 2004 and it just really holds true. And so that pleases me. I think it's very valuable. So again, presuming as I had shared before that, you know, all trends, which is what this little uh, picture is showing is what life looks and feels like on the surface. Have That's a really cool house, by the way. I wish I had a house like that. I want the mid-century modern look. <laughs> you can take that to an architect. I'd be happy to send it to you. <laughs> 3D models? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But so, you know, there's a lot happening on the surface of our lives. And that's often where, you know, it's where we have our attention, you know, necessarily. However, if we pause to zoom out and look deep at the same time, what we see underneath it is that there are forces that through which society renews itself and they are resources, technology, demographics, and governance. Mm. And these are the same forces from which all societies have shaped themselves. And even when empires fall or things change, it's also how they renew themselves. Wow. So how did we, you find how did you find out about this? Like where did the origin of these come from? Um, a big part of it is is that in 2004, I was already thinking uh, this way and trying out some things about how do we understand change. In foresight, there is um, frequently people refer to steep or pestle as the acronym for the things to, to track when you're scanning. Um, society, technology, environment, economy, and people, or, um, and this is, you know, this tracks very closely, but I felt there was a piece of it that was too, not distilled enough. Mm -hmm. Number one, that was just a, an insight that I had. And then the other one was that I had um, a really big project in 2004 for a utility company that had asked me to take a look at what would be the portfolio of energy sources in about 10 year time? And you know what they're looking at is where do we invest our money to build an energy plant because the demand only goes up. So they're always needing to build more energy capacity. 
yep. and generation. And so if we're going to do that, do we invest in another gas plant? Is it coal? Is it nuclear? Uh, that's significant amounts of money and time that goes into making that decision. So um, we're looking at that as an outcome. Remember solving for X, that was the X. We need to, to have a view of where our money is best spent. But then there were other factors to consider, which is, you know, how are markets changing? What are some of the social impact and, and the trends um, wanting for more environmentally sustainable things? Also, what are the new technologies coming in? What are the geopolitical pressures around, uh, you know, we're doing this right now as we do forever, um, you know, countries that are supplier nations versus those that have very little and, uh, and so forth. And so it was in doing this big project that I, I really, it just clicked for me. This is, and, you know, I keep testing it and it keeps coming back to me like, yep, it, it makes a lot of sense. It nice. Is, I think a very useful sense-making tool and also an even better scanning tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we look at that surface, you know, one of the things that we're doing when we come together as a social group, no matter its size or at any point in history, very often useful to look at the simplest form that we imagine, which is, you know, back in kind of uh, prehistoric times when we were in small groups of clans, you know, we were still taking a look and driven by, we have to have resources. We're living off the land. We have to be able to have food, uh, provide shelter and be able to take care of ourselves. So resources really are primary because we all know that when resources change, if there's a tsunami, an earthquake uh, with climate change that we have to move. Mm -hmm. right? So these are migratory pressures as well. And so here we look at how is energy, how are, is agriculture, how is climate change, sustainability, um, all of those things beginning to impact what the future can hold. And of course, there's a lot of innovation here too, in new science that tells us something about where things may go. The next layer is what humans do is we use tools and we invent tools. Um, we use technology to make the world and to move through the world. Primarily we do it initially, we have to have tools to harvest our resources and to be more productive. How do we tie vines together to have a net that can catch more fish than I can do with a spear mm -hmm. or with my hands alone? And so we begin to invent things that um, makes life more convenient and more productive and usually easier for ourselves too. And we I'm assuming we, we started off doing that because we needed to get to resources easier or better or more resources. Is that one of the reasons why technology started was the search for more resources or is that the, the underlying I, yeah, underpinning? I don't know that there was a pre-technology point in which there was a decision that we must need it. You know, there are other species that use tools as well. Um, you know, what technology does, tools of any kind, is they extend our physical capacity, right? So something beyond our body, whether it's a stick to reach into an ant hole or whatever it may be, um, we use tools to that end to make things easier for ourselves um, and safer and all kinds of things, right? But the, one of the things that we do know that humans do exceptionally well is that we imagine what else is possible. Mm. And then we create the tools to make it so, so that if 
you know, there's always been a sense of that bird. What if we could fly? Yeah. You know, and, and so that becomes parts of our myths, but it also becomes a part of a, an endless effort over many, many, many centuries before the technology allows us to get up in the air. Um, and so we do that. Our imagination leads us. We're going out to the space now. Why? I still don't really understand. <laughs> <laughs> but because we can is often the answer. Yes, yes. And the, and the imagination that goes with what might be possible because we have gone into space. Guess what? Part of the reason is because we're motivated to harvest more resources from that mm-hmm. space and that we might extend life and dominion, um, you know, and, and so forth. But a lot of it is our imagination goes there. So mm-hmm. we want to go see and figure it out. And it also gives us a lot of learning about life itself and right. maybe how, where we came from and um, what, what else is operating. So the next force is, of course, you've got your group. And you want to make sure that that group can remain strong and sustain itself over time from generation to generation. And to do that, you have to have a a healthy distribution of sexes, you know, for procreation, ages, you know, for the next gen, you know, Mm -hmm. come into the labor of skills and so forth. And um, so health is really important. You know, fertility is really important. Uh, all the things that we invent there to to make sure that our group can remain strong and grow. Um, growth is something that nature likes, and we are definitely always looking for growth. And so mm-hmm. we have done that. Um, and the last thing that societies are made of is that people come together and they have to figure out, all right, now that we have this dominion of uh, resources, and where it's the tools to exploit it and maybe even to secure it and, and protect it, um, we have to have rules of cooperation. How are we going to do this together? Yeah. How are we going to manage all this? How are we going to work together? All of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, this comes up, you know, we have rules of the house, right? You know, <laughs> like families do this too. And we we figure out, you know, this these are what our this is what our culture is. These are what's in, what's out, what's okay, what's not what consequences look like, um, what our beliefs are about the development of a family or a group and how we best um, you know, grow together. And so we create rules and those rules look like you know, in nation states, rules of law and rules of the market. And then those rules also have to set up treaties and alliances and yeah. things. They live in all and, sorts of, like you said, fam- all the way from couples, families, all the way up to uh, globally. So there's right. there's there's governance everywhere at every level. At every level, especially as we've gotten bigger through the technologies we've made that has globalized us again and again, initially through ships. You know, that was kind of a wave one of globalization and, and now through uh, technologies that connect us, you know, in every possible way. <laughs> um, so, you know, but, but we're still playing to these same forces, mm-hmm. right? And governance is trying to make sense of uh, and manage the trends that are surfacing from what's happening in resources, technology, and demographics. Right. And we see our current issues all have our roots here as well. Mm-hmm. You know, issues of sustainability and energy too, and technology, you know, 
um, governance. We have been in a phase in which we want government out of the way. And so we don't have much regulation um, and are now fretting about that. Demographics, we have more people because of this beautiful healthcare who are alive today than any other time, maybe yep. up to 10 billion by 2050. But we have people who are aging and we have other areas of the world that are younger than usual, have big youth bulges and, um, and people are moving around and we have reactions to that. Yep. We have issues around immigration and we have a sharp rise in nativism and all of these things. We can trace them back here to these four forces. So it is sense-making. Mm -hmm. And we can see how being so interconnected has been very useful, but that it's also disruptive to our form of governance. And, you know, we're trying to sort that out too. Uh, oh yeah, all, so, these, all these are uh, very interconnected. Very interconnected. Yep. And that is a system, right? It is a system. And, and this is a particular system for studying and scanning what are the trends telling us, but also where, what's emergent in the resource force field? What's emergent so, in technology, demographics, and governance? So it tells us what to scan for, and we can uh, filter how much, you know, it's not everything in resources, for instance. What are the ones that might have implications for who we are, the, you know, our concern at hand and its implications there? And so we look at, we look at, trends in each of these or in combination so say trends in technology or trends in demographics and we combine them like where where do we how do we pull these things together in certain ways to help us see well first we go back to our solving for x what is it that we want to solve for and then we're taking a look at how trends in each of these force fields are likely to impact it to shape mm. the conditions and opportunities that we're we're considering for whatever that horizon is. Um, remember the solving for X is a formula that says, we don't know, which is why it's X. Right. And we need to investigate it. And here's a way to, to investigate it. What's your time horizon so that we can scope our research, know the needs at the center of that issue, what needs you're trying to address. And then what are the conditions in which those needs will be that you need to meet them? And so the conditions are, you know, we're looking at how will these forces be shaping how people live and work and socialize and form families and travel and all of that based on what we scan across the four forces? Mm, okay. Yeah. So can you give can you give me an example of something that you would you would move through the process? I'm going to come back to you. Do you want to keep that up? Is that uh, no, it's all right. Okay. Um, so I think we used this example last time. And so just for the sake of continuity and I can use others as well, but we talked about pet food, right? Mm -hmm. Last time. And, yep. the, and the X was how do we have 10 million more pets in loving homes within five years? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the central need at the core there is that there is a loving relationship that people seek and trying to understand why that is. Coming to the insight that in fact, pets make people better people. It enhances human well-being and performance in every aspect of our lives, unless you're not a pet lover. 
it's not but in any case that (laughs) um there are a few of those out there yeah absolutely absolutely but that there is something that is really life-giving in that so then we would study you know in five years time um how do we expect you know the way people are living to be affecting what pet ownership looks like right and then you look at it from all four of those yeah, absolutely. Pieces? Okay. That's right. Because we want to understand how people are living, making their living, and then living at home and living among friends and how they're socializing, um, if they're spending more time alone, all that stuff. And what, because those four forces will tell us where the economy is going as well, likely mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does that mean about how people will be working? What does that mean about whether purse strings will be tighter? Or will more people be living intergenerationally? Um, what are some of the demographic shifts and what are its effect on culture around pets? So it would say that uh, from a resource perspective, it is monet- it could be monetary, like how much extra money do they have to be able to take care of a, of a pet? Yeah. From the technology front, it would be like, how would we put a technology lens on this? Yeah, there we might think about, you know, um, are people working from home <laughs> <laughs> or are they out, at, you know, are they outside the home all day long? Right. And is there, you know, we have those pet cams, for instance, and is that a piece of it? Or uh, we have um, uh, entertainment for the pet while we're gone. We get the updates about the pet while we're mm-hmm. gone. Uh, you know, we have bio, we have chips in our pets these days, and there's very likely more that we will begin to understand about what state are they in, how we want to care for that, and how does it attune to our state because we also have our biometric data mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah. Could it even extend to virtual pets and robotic pets? Sure. I suppose it could, right? Because yeah, absolutely. if there's certain things about pets that people, don't, I mean, let's say pets don't, uh, sorry, non-pet lovers might not like you know out of the smell or or need to clean up after them or whatever but still want that same type or similar type of experience maybe i mean i know in some other cultures uh robotics are 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 stepping up there so that could be part of it as well absolutely i mean Mm. uh, south korea is kind of leading the way in this a lot um both with healthcare um providers that are robotic they have um, police on the street that are are robots really yes and (laughs) emotive robots as well um you know and i think what would interest me to know about that is again how do we understand what people are getting from pets that you would what is it that you're trying to replicate right and how much of that is a a a cold wet nose and, and kind of a warm beating heart and a little bit of fuzzy that kind of nestles right there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, Right. You know, do you like the licking? Do you not like the licking? (laughs) (laughs) Would genetically engineer dogs without, without tongues or shorter tongues or something like that? That's right. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, is it useful and fun to actually participate in training? Yeah. And so I can imagine there would be training, you know, um, for commands and things like that. that Yeah. But there's always that, there's always that, Thing that you're solving for you can't just say you know what is it going to be like you need to you need to 
zoom into a particular thing. I think so. So look I at mean, where you're I, going. I think so. I can't do it any other way. Again, there are people who do much more speculative work and they do just kind of big global ideas about, you know, where the world is going to be at this, you know. Yeah, but how grounded is that, though? That's the problem. It's not very grounded, right? I mean, there's no... Yes. You, you can't even say, uh, this is how I get from point A to point B, because like you say, it's it's mostly speculative. It's almost fiction. Yeah. I mean, it, let's be honest. It's all speculative anyway, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But but however, and comma. <laughs> <laughs> Stay properly grammatic. <laughs> um, the, you know, if we, you know, the future is something that we are living into all the time. So it serves us to have a way to study change. Mm -hmm. It serves us to have a, a methodical approach where we can say, we can think this through so that when we are building that future, we have a case for it. It's been thoroughly investigated and hopefully widely and deeply investigated and not just kind of the slapping up on and trends. Um, you know, I, interestingly, I was brought in as an expert uh, not so long ago for a company that is a snack company and has lots of um, treats. And they were imagining that it was really critical to look at the future of the pantry. Mm. And this is a heritage company. It, like, you know, their candies have been around forever. They're not going to change. But they were looking at the trends in which the pantry was becoming very luxurious and bigger parts of the home, but I was like, for whom, you know? Yeah. Right? So we have to be thoughtful about, as again, one of my, um, not really an admonishment, it's just a guide to say, make sure you look both ways. Yes, that might be a trend on one end, but make sure that you look to all the people who are actually losing their housing, but still like candy. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and still wanna feel good and still wanna, you know, have those, Right. You know, so yeah. you want to give gifts and all those. Things. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like people, it's like the resurgence of record players, of paper books, of board games. People are, there's a, there's a, and, and some people are just dismissing it. Oh, it's just a bit of a pushback, but it's, it's going to go away because these are so much, so superior. And it's like, I don't see that at all. I think it, I think you do have to look at all the paths and take those into account. You definitely have to look at the polarity. So yeah. um, I, what I was responding to and what you were saying is that, you know, sometimes we get so excited about imagining something that's going to look like this. And we actually, we, it is somewhat ungrounded as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so even though we can make a good case for it, we have to check our own biases and assumptions um, because we can select any data we want, right? <laughs> True. Right. But have you found that, I know this is, we're not predicting here, but have you found that in some of your work, things that you have said have actually come to pass? All of it. <laughs> Everything will happen. The only question is when, right? <laughs> well, you know, because here's the thing is that when you look under the hood and down deep into the roots of those four forces, and rather than following the trends, then in fact, as I said, change slows down. And so there have been a lot of things that I feel like, you know, what was true 10 to 15 years ago is still true today. Mm -hmm. um, sustainability was an issue. 
mobility was, you know, an issue, excuse me. Um, you know, mobility, you know, people being more mobile around the world and um, remote working, you know, all of this was stuff that we were looking at then. Uh, demographic pr pressures and migration, labor shortages. Yeah, it, you know, I, it, in some ways I feel like, yep, still true. Um, yeah. So, and yeah. I feel that sometimes you live long enough, the exact same things just recur and with new names. Right. It's like polyworking. Have you heard of polyworking? The the term holding down multiple jobs. I mean, people used to hold down multiple jobs from the dawn of time, but now it's called polyworking and it's a new thing. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. This is this is not a new thing. These I these things have been going on for a long time. They've just been rebranded and and turned yes. into something yes, that I sounds new. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. Awesome. So uh, thank you so much. This has been great. Um, yeah. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Wonderful. So think today we did C, next yeah. time it's lead, like right. a futurist. And um, I, what I love about these um, models, solving for X for think and four forces for C is that the logic is so clear and they're really useful. So mm -hmm. I hope that people enjoy them. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. This has been All great. Right. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you bye soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye.